Hey everyone, this is Tim Harris. I'm the pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church and this is our weekly podcast. Hope it encourages you. Hope it makes you want to be closer to Jesus and more like him. Hope you enjoy this sermon. And if you want to know more about us, find us online at woodburnbaptist.org. Good morning, everybody. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Y'all good? Everybody good? Wasn't it South Warren Middle, South Warren High School choir today? Wasn't that amazing? Gosh, I love having them. Cafe folks, I love you. I used to have to say good morning to Brian Ahern from across the country in Perry, Oklahoma. But what a blessing to have Brian and Tina in our congregation. Brian, helping to lead in cafe. Love you, brother. Thank you all so much. Finishing up the message series entitled, I Have My Doubts. Um, as I think I've made it clear, this is a really personal series for me. I really struggled early on. Uh, so many of the people who taught me the Christian faith um, lived it in such a way where they, it was always beyond the shadow of a doubt. You know, they didn't seem to struggle. They didn't seem to ask a lot of questions. And some of us perhaps are blessed to be able to live that way. I've always been a person that asked a lot of questions. And I believe that at one point I felt like I had to have answers in order to have strong faith. Now I've learned that there is a remarkable mystery and adventure to faith, especially when you have big questions and are willing to live those questions faithfully, live forward even though you don't have all the answers. Um, Mark chapter two is where we'll conclude today and talk a little bit about what it means to follow Jesus even when uh, so many things seem incomplete. I want to start with a quote from a play by Thornton Wilder. It's a play called uh, The Skin of Our Teeth. Uh, You don't have to have read it. It's a weird one, Uh, but it's good. At the end of this particular piece, uh, there's a married couple, and the wife says something amazing to her husband, and I love it. She says, I didn't marry you because you were perfect. I married you because you gave me a promise. I love that. Probably because uh, this coming uh, August, Casey and I will have been married 35 years, which is incredible. Uh, just amazing to think about how fast time goes. Um, and in 35 years, I, th- I think I've learned a little bit something about marriage, enough to know exactly what this means. Uh, I didn't marry you because you were perfect. Marriage doesn't involve perfection on the front end, or turns out not on the back end either. <laughs> it's not about perfection, you all. Um, But it is about a promise that we made to one another, a promise to live together and to see where this road would lead. And let me just say, 35 years into this thing, um, I think think at some point we think that the honeymoon of marriage is like in the first year, and and that's insane. Uh, The honeymoon of marriage is like after... After the kids go to college, you know, the, the empty nest, which sounds at, at first like it's going to be really difficult, is really such a very sweet time. I would just say that in our experience, marriage right now is better than it's ever been, and it's always been good. It's just simply that you don't start out with perfection. You start with a promise, and then you walk forward into all of the good things that marriage will bring. And that's why marriage involves so much faith and hope and love. And, and I would say the very same thing, of course, about my walk with Jesus. It, it's, it's the very same thing. Faith doesn't start with perfection. It starts with God's promise. So on the front end of my life with Christ, I I didn't get answers to all my questions. I I didn't get solutions to all of my problems. 
And that's why, as I've said over and over, faith is messy and the Christian life is messy because you don't really get perfection, not on this side, but you get God's promise to take you there, to do in your life, to do in your heart what only he can do. He will lead me and you into all wisdom, but it's a journey. It's, it's, a, it's a walking, it's a following, and, and that's what Jesus makes perfectly clear. I love Philippians chapter one, verse six. Read these words with me from the screen. God, who began a good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished. When? On the day when Christ Jesus returns. God has begun this good work in me, in you. That's our salvation. It's only just begun. Do you understand that? It's not something that's complete on the day you walk the aisle or on the day when you go into the waters of baptism. That's just the beginning. It's like marriage. It's like day one and everything good and everything great and and very, very truly, all of the sweetest fruits of faith are somewhere along the way, somewhere down the road. You understand? So God has begun this good work within you and he's going to continue to complete it and it's going to be all done when? When he returns, like when we see him, in the meantime, it's still happening. And God has so much work to do left in me, and may I say, in you. So talk about what that means. What does it mean to trust and follow Jesus when so much of faith is still unfinished? When so much of what God has promised is still not yet delivered, when so much is still unfulfilled. Uh, And with that, Mark chapter 2, let's look at the beginning of one man's journey. Mark chapter 2, going to start in verse 13. Don't be confused in this particular gospel. This character is called Levi, but we know him by another name. His name is Matthew. Same dude, same dude, Levi, Matthew, and I'll probably end up calling him both today. In the scripture today, Mark calls him Levi. So read with me, Mark chapter 2, verse 13. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me, be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. Okay, did you hear what I just read? Let me do it again, just in case you haven't looked down your pew yet. Understand how the followers of Jesus are described. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other, go ahead and say it just for fun, disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. There still are, right? But when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Mm. Jesus wasn't like uh, other rabbis. 
In some ways, to call him a rabbi is, you know, is to use a title so, so far beneath who he is. But, but he was a rabbi, too, a, a Jewish teacher. And make no mistake, the Pharisees in this story, they, they know a lot about rabbis and disciples and how all of that works. And that's why they're so surprised. Jesus isn't like other rabbis. In Jesus' day, there were many rabbis, uh, esteemed Jewish teachers, and there were many young men who would want to be their disciples, who would want to learn from them. So typically, if a young person wanted to be a disciple of a rabbi, they would go seek out the rabbi. They would find the rabbi, and then they would allow the rabbi to question them. And if they pass the test, if, if they seem to be promising, then the rabbi would say, come follow me. The student would then become a disciple of that particular rabbi. Do you understand? That's not at all how Jesus does this. For one thing, Jesus isn't dealing with the young men of promise he always ends up seeking out people. Jesus seeks them out, and he seeks out the ones who have already moved on with life. Understand in this particular story, and it's very representative of other disciples of Jesus, Levi's not looking to be anybody's disciple. Levi is past that point in his life. He's not disciple material. Do you see that? It's not disciple material. He's not an A student in Hebrew school. He's probably a C or D student in Hebrew school. He's the leftover. No rabbi would have chosen him. No rabbi in the world would go looking for him. And yet here he sits. Levi is a tax collector. And Jesus seeks out Levi. He goes up to Levi and says, come follow me. Now, that's what rabbis would say. That's how a rabbi would invite a student into his school of discipleship. But understand, usually the student would have a test, would, would pass the test, would, would answer some questions, would demonstrate their knowledge of the scriptures or knowledge of the language. There is no test. Just the invitation. Come follow me. And the scripture says Levi just gets up and follows him. Now, he's a tax collector, which means he's sitting at a table full of money. It doesn't even say, you know, he went and made a quick deposit. Just left it. Just left it. How do you explain that? It's possible that they've met before. The scripture doesn't tell us that story, but it's possible that Levi and Matthew have had a previous encounter. It's possible that they've had conversations, but we don't know. It sounds like to me that uh, there's just something about this moment. There's something about Jesus's invitation. There's something about Jesus that, that draws Levi. All I know is Levi follows Jesus and there's a whole lot he doesn't know. Like when somebody says, follow me, I got questions. Where are we going? You know, where, when will we get back? Will it be cold? Because that's going to affect my decision. Will it be cold? What will we eat? You know, can I sit up front? You know, you know I mean, you know, I have, I have a lot of questions. When will we be back? Can I bring my wife? Is there a good Wi-Fi? 
I need to know these things. I have a lot of questions. I suppose Levi had a lot of questions too, but at the same time, there's something about the invitation of Jesus that makes those questions no longer seem pressing. There's something else that draws him, and there's something, something about Jesus that causes him to call the kinds of people he calls. Again, I remind you, not disciple material. I don't know what kind of promise Levi shows. He's a tax collector, you guys. I mean, tax collectors. No Jewish rabbi would choose a tax collector. Tax collectors are known to be sinners. They're known to be dishonest. They're assumed to be disreputable. Nobody likes them. Nobody wants to be with them. They handle filthy Roman money. They work for filthy Romans. They rob the people, the Jews. Nobody likes tax collectors. And Jesus walks right up to one. Follow me, Jesus says to Levi, and Levi leaves everything and follows him. What is it? I don't know. I, I, I can't explain it. All I know is if you know Jesus, you've experienced a similar calling. I've experienced a similar calling. The sermon series has been about doubts, and I've talked about my doubts, but can I talk to you about my calling to follow Jesus? Because there's something about Jesus that makes all of my doubts somehow no longer seem so pressing. Jesus doesn't choose you for anything you've done or anything you are. Now, this is amazing. He doesn't choose you for anything you've done or anything you are. See, so often we want to think that, you know, we would be chosen for this privilege because of somehow our specialness. But Jesus doesn't call me, he doesn't call you because of anything about us. Jesus first called me, I was a child. I made the decision to follow Jesus when I was six years old, but I began to hear his voice long before that. Believe it or not, I've heard his voice as a child. I would have to say there's never a moment of my life when I didn't feel his presence and know his presence. I was born to love him, and I do love him. And, and I love him so much because of this. It's, it's not anything I have done. See, it's, Jesus didn't choose me in the first place because I had done something to impress him. It wasn't anything I had done, and for that reason, there's not anything I can do now to make him change his mind about me. And that's been important in my life with Christ because there are times when I failed. Times when I have failed terribly. Times when I have done exactly what Jesus had forbidden me to do. I mean, you understand, there's so many ways in which I fail him, but he didn't choose me for my ability to not fail. It has nothing to do with me, nothing to do with anything I'd ever done, nothing to do with what I was. Jesus chose me, he chooses you for what you will become by his power if you will follow him. He begins this good work in us. He doesn't call us for what we are. He calls us for what we will be, and what we will be is what he wants us to be if we will follow him. It's all by his power. It's, it's not my power. It's not my intelligence. It's not my logic. It's none of that. It's just this amazing adventure of walking with him and just allowing him to work because I'm telling you, if he's going to change me, it's going to requ require a lot of work. A lot of power. 
But all of that work and all of that power belongs to him. All I have to do is follow him. I just follow. And all the work that has to happen, it happens along the way. See, this is why you can't just say, well, I got saved when I was a child at Bible school and then nothing's happened since then. You don't walk with Jesus. You don't talk to Jesus. You don't read your Bible. You don't pray. You don't ask any hard questions. You just show up on Sunday like you're clocking in and out. And that's not the Christian life. It's this amazing adventure of transformation and and, and change along the way. I'm not anything like the person I was when Jesus first found me. I'm nothing like I'm going to be when I see him face to face. There's a whole lot of change happening Along the way, do you understand? Now, Matthew doesn't follow because of what he knows, because as I've said, I don't think he knows much. He has no idea where this road will lead. When Jesus says, follow me, Matthew doesn't necessarily know the other people who are following Jesus, some of whom he's not going to like. Seriously. And most of them aren't going to like him. I would have liked to have been there the day Jesus walked up with Matthew in front of the other disciples and says, boys, this is Matthew. He's the local tax collector. In Capernaum, do you understand, the tax collectors used to tax fish. They did. They taxed fish. And most of Jesus' disciples were fishermen. Matthew may have been their tax collector. And he may not have been an honest one. He may have taken half of what they caught in one day and kept most of it for themselves. And they knew that. And they never have liked him. He was dirty. He was dishonest. He worked for Rome and he took their fish. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, boys, I want you to meet the newest disciple. And they're thinking, no way. Not him. You know? Whole lot Matthew doesn't know on the front end of following Jesus. He has no idea where this will lead. He has no idea that Jesus himself will face the cross. He can't imagine the resurrection. He can't imagine any of this. And he can't imagine what God is going to do with him on the other side of all of that. How Matthew himself will take the gospel around the world. He has no idea, and yet he just steps out and follows. Understand, he doesn't follow because of what he knows. He follows because he realizes he is known. Levi, son of Alphaeus, follow me. Jesus knows something Levi doesn't know. And in the end... Matthew steps out, Levi steps out on the basis of what Jesus knows, not on the basis of what he knows. So many steps along the path when I became discouraged because of what I didn't know. Questions I couldn't answer. Personal questions for one, but but understand because of my role in the body of Christ, I have to deal with your questions too. Questions that come up in your life, questions that come up in ministry, questions that have come up in the life of this church, and people look at me as if I've got an answer, and I haven't had answers. It's very discouraging. It's hard to have to get up and talk every single Sunday like you know something. I'm not here because I know something. 
but I can tell you about the one who does know. I can tell you about the God who is bigger than all of our questions. I mean, all of our questions put together, we don't necessarily get answers, but we get him. Understand, he says, follow me. He didn't give us a book of answers. He gives us himself. So understand, the only thing Jesus asks you to do is to join him on his path. Follow me. You join him on his path. Now, that sounds simple. Nothing simple about it. In every single instance of disciples following Jesus, there's this important theme of leaving everything. They have to leave everything. In other words, everything that pertained to the person they've always been, they're willing to lay that aside. It's not about their identity. It's about who they're going to be, their future identity when they follow this man, when they follow Jesus. It's not anything to do with myself. That's why when following him, I just lay all that aside. I no longer am the one that matters. It is Jesus that matters more than everything to me. In the ancient world, uh, the the rabbis and their students, uh, a disciple of a rabbi was told uh, by the rabbis themselves that the student was supposed to powder himself with the dust from the feet of the rabbi. Powder himself. What does that mean? That means to walk so closely behind your rabbi at all times that as the dust flies off his feet, it gets, you know, in your face. You just follow him and the dust that flies off of him just gets on you. You powder yourself. You become coated with the dust from his feet. That's how closely you follow. That's how you never turn back. Also understand, you're following, you're not leading. There's never a moment when you get to get in front of him and say, hey, Jesus, follow me. I'd like to teach you something for a change. It's never going to happen that way. You follow him. You join him on his path. Now, the scripture makes perfectly clear that Jesus knows we're sinners. He knows we're sinners. He invited Levi. Levi was a sinner, a disreputable sinner, which means everybody knows he's a sinner. I couldn't even go out in public and pretend to be something he wasn't because everybody knew what he was, a sinner. And Jesus knows he's a sinner. On top of that, Levi throws a party and invites all his sinful friends. Like all, like this isn't, this isn't, you know, like the good people. This wasn't Levi's party for awesome people. When the Pharisees took one look at the guest list, they summed up with one word. What was it? Scum. Scum of the earth. Jesus is in there at a table with the scum of the earth and calling them his disciples. Jesus knows we're sinners. But understand, he asked us to join him on his path. So now I'm following him, and he's never going to lead me on a path to sin. So although that sin is still in me, and I'm still very capable of doing some very terrible things, I'm following him now. Which means the only way for me to indulge my sin is if I step off the path of following him. And I don't want to do that. I'm going to stay with him. There's some tension there, of course. 
There's tension in the verse that you know, Mark puts in parentheses when he says, yeah, as a matter of fact, there's a whole lot of people like that <laughs> that follow Jesus, a whole lot of disreputable sinners. They were among Jesus' followers. What? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's why it's so frustrating today in our culture, especially in a church culture, because we want to call sinners to follow Jesus, but we act like they're going to have to clean themselves up before they come to him. You know, I mean, we act like, you know, hey, you know, if you're going to be one of us, you're going to have to change your ways. And, and it's true. Jesus demands that you repent of your sins and, and, and put your feet on a new path. Absolutely. But, but if you could change yourself apart from him, I, I know you would have already done that. I would have too. People can't change without him. They can't forgive themselves. They can't change themselves. I mean, we live in an amazing culture where sin is now celebrated. I mean, sin is given, you know, center stage. And, and it's almost everything gets turned upside down. And I want you to understand the incredible clarity of Jesus in this passage. Jesus has utter clarity here. When the Pharisees say, why are you eating with such scum? Jesus says, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've not come to call those who think they're righteous. I've come for those who know they are sinners. Do you understand? Jesus doesn't say that they're not sinners. He doesn't say that we're not sinners. We are. We are. We're sinners on a path of becoming what he wants us to be, but we're still sinners. We're seen by God with the righteousness of Christ because of his grace and because of Jesus' own sacrifice, but that doesn't really change the fact that there is sin and it is deep in me. I said that the change is happening along the way, and it is, but in some ways the struggle with sin is, is is more serious, more fierce in this stage of my life than, than earlier. It's like the further I walk with Jesus, the closer I get to Jesus, the more I realize how deeply sin is in me. I begin to understand how broken I am, how far I've got to go. Do you understand that that struggle with sin is a part of it from the very beginning all the way to the moment when we see him face to face? Jesus doesn't say we're not sinners. He doesn't say that we're not sick people. As a matter of fact, that's his primary metaphor for us. Jesus, I, I didn't come to call people who think they're righteous, man. I, doctor comes for the sick people. Y'all, we're sick people. Sin is our sickness. We all have the same sickness and we got different symptoms. That's why it's so crazy when you stand back and judge people. Because they're sick in a different way from how you're sick. We all got the same virus, it's sin, and it is a fatal disease, all of us. So the fact that, you know, this group, you know, their symptoms are primarily how much they love money, and this group, it's primarily sexual. You know, that doesn't mean that this group gets to judge this group because of the way they sin. They just sin differently. But understand, in our day and age, we got sick people trying to tell us that actually that's healthy. We have sinners trying to redefine what sin is in such a way where there is no sin. It's all just expressive individualism. You just be yourself, you know? 
I know that some people get really upset when I preach this way. So they say, Pastor Tim, you just don't understand what it is to be a person who needs pride. I understand what it is to be a person who needs healing, who needs forgiveness. And that's what Jesus says we all need. He never says we're not sick. He never says we're not sinners. And we can't say that either. You can't begin to redefine your sin in such a way where it's something to celebrate. When you begin to celebrate what Jesus says he came to set you free from, do you understand? You've stepped on the wrong path. You've stepped on the wrong path. And I know that right now, a lot of people who are deconstructing, a lot of people are questioning the faith. It's over moral issues. They say, I don't understand how Jesus can love everybody, but then I have a gay friend. Or how Jesus can love everybody, but then I have a friend who's non-binary. And, and you don't know how to hold that together. But can I remind you, Jesus knows how to hold that together. Jesus knows how to love your gay friend better than you do. He loves them better than you do. Jesus knows how to love your non-binary daughter. He created her. He knows her inside and out. He knows her better than you do. He loves her more than you do. So you just have to recognize what Jesus says here. We are all in need of a physician. All of us in need of healing. All of us with the very same disease. It's sin. And Jesus says, I'm the physician. Now, I know a lot of times when I'm sick, I want an instant, instant miracle. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. So I, I want an instant miracle if I just got the sniffles. I hate it. I hate it. I mean, don't even, if I got a stomach virus, you know, I am somewhere in the bathroom and floor nearly dead. I hate it. I suffer. I'll drink Pepto-Bismol, you know, just go, 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 just wanting to be over it. I want to be over it. I want to get on with my life. I don't want to have to deal with this. I don't want to have to blow my nose. Have y'all seen this nose? I don't want to blow this thing. I don't want to have the stomach virus. I don't want to have anything. I just want to live my life. And some of us, we come to Jesus and we want an instant miraculous transformation. And, and he can do that, but most of the time, he who began this good work in you is going to be able to complete it on the day when Christ Jesus returns. In other words, it's going to take some time. This miracle of healing, this miracle of forgiveness, this miracle of transformation, it's going to happen over time. Which means you have to follow him. You have to keep following him, and you're gonna to have to struggle with your sin like you've never struggled before. And you're gonna have questions, they aren't gonna have any answers. You're gonna to have to just keep following. Do you understand? To follow Jesus, the only thing you must know is how badly you need him. You don't have to know anything else. You don't have to be a Bible expert, although once you know him, you're gonna be you're gonna fall in love with the words of this book because you're gonna find him on every page. Once you love Jesus, you're gonna love his word. But I'm telling you, on the front end, there is no written exam to find out how much you know. The only thing you have to know is how badly you need him. And I'm telling you, you need Jesus. Amen. 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 Pastor Tim, I thought you were talking about doubts. I am, I am, 
You think right now that the most important question is, you know, whether it's creation or evolution. I'm telling you, no, no, no. The only thing you really have to know is how much you need Jesus. It's Jesus. Don't, don't be distracted here by something that doesn't matter. You can become an expert in theistic evolution and write books and lead workshops and be you know, a speaker at conferences, and you can die and go to hell because you don't know Jesus. Amen. Answering these questions isn't going to take you one step closer to Jesus, and it's Jesus that you need. It's, it's not some sort of logical way of being in the world. It's, faith is something altogether different. And it begins in that moment when you just know how much you need Jesus. And I'm telling you, you need Jesus. You need Jesus more than you need to express your sexuality. You need Jesus more than you need to figure out your gender. You need Jesus more than you figure out how to love your gay friend. You just need Jesus. And I'm telling you, everything that you need from there, Jesus will give you along the way. Follow him. Trust him. I would say it this way. Uh, Start where you are. And trust that Christ will lead you where he wants you to go. Start where you are. Jesus knows exactly where you are. Jesus goes and finds Levi in the tax collector's booth. Of course that's where he would be. He's a tax collector. And Jesus went right to him and said, follow me. So understand, the path of following Jesus for Matthew started right there in that tax collector's booth. And then it led elsewhere. You, you just start where you are. Pastor Tim, you don't understand what I've done. You don't understand my addiction. I don't have to understand your addiction. You're going to start out an addict because that's what you are. You don't understand, Pastor Tim. I think I'm gay. Okay, you're going to start out gay following Jesus, and that's going to be okay because Jesus understands that better than any of us. Yeah. Pastor Tim, are you saying Jesus would call gay people? Absolutely. Amen. Absolutely. Guys, there's a part, uh, which is the book of Romans, where Paul talks about all the people that are not going to go to heaven. He talks about, uh, you know, homosexuals of two different kinds and thieves and liars. And then Paul turns around and says, and that's what half of you were. And Paul says it. That's what half of you were. Of course Jesus calls addicts. Of course Jesus calls adulterers. Of course Jesus calls liars. Of course Jesus calls prodigal sons and daughters. Jesus calls all kinds of transsexual, crazy. I mean, Jesus just calls us because that's what we are. We're sinners. We're sick people in need of a doctor. And he knows our sickness and he knows our sin and he loves us. You understand, you can't sin in any possible way to make him think, oh, 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 Lord, no, you know. You can't sin in any way to make him love you less and you can't do anything to make him love you more. He already loves you with an everlasting love. There is no need for you to try to clean yourself up before you come to Jesus. You just start where you are. Understand, you come as you are and trust that Christ will make you whatever he wants you to be. You may say, Pastor Tim, I have struggled with my sexual orientation my entire life, and nobody knows this. I've always struggled with it. I've always had same-sex attraction, and I've always tried to change. I've tried so hard to change, and I've never been able to change. I still say, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. And, And whatever change needs to happen in you, Jesus will do along the way. Along the way, 
You trust him. I know you can't change. If you could have changed, you would have changed. I know you would have. I know you tried. Trust Jesus. You can't do it. Yeah, you're addicted. Of course you're addicted. You've proven you're an addict. You can't change. You've been through AA so many times. I mean, you know, how many, how many meetings you want to go to? You can't change. You need Jesus. You're going to start out an addict because that's what you are. But I'm telling you, you come as you are. Trust that Christ will make you what he wants you to be. It's all up to Jesus. If Jesus can't save me, if Jesus can't change me, then I'm condemned and I have no hope. It's only Jesus. I'm just saying whatever doubts, whatever disappointment, whatever discouragement, whatever it is that threatens your faith, I just want you to come back to what faith is. It, it, it's, it's not having all knowledge. It's not. And it's not this ability to live this perfect life because you can't and you won't. And nobody else can either, so stop judging them. They're no more perfect than you are. Faith is... Uh, it's trusting Jesus. But it's not just trusting him like with your head or trust him enough like trust him with your Sunday mornings. Christian faith is to trust to the point of obedience. It's, it's to trust him with your life, to, to believe with your life. It's to trust to the point of following so that wherever he leads, you'll go. You will powder yourself with the dust of following after Jesus. No other path, no other hope. It's only Jesus. I tell you, in my life as a Christian, as a pastor, student of the word, it's a PhD in theology. I have my doubts. I do. But I have found faith in Christ that is deeper, stronger. I have a lot of questions that don't seem to have answers, a lot of problems that don't seem to get fixed automatically. I'm just trusting, if I keep following him, that the God who began this good work in me, he will finish it. Along the way. And on that day when Christ Jesus returns and I see him face to face. At that moment. His work in me will be complete. I'm trusting that. Even with all my questions. Pray with me.